I'm going to do uh, today, we're going to talk about one thing and I'm going to make one point. It'll take me a long time to make one point, but I'm only making one point. We're talking about how God works on earth as in heaven. We're talking about how God touches our lives. We're talking about how we can know God and know the presence of God. I spoke uh, one time uh, a few weeks ago about the prodigal son, the, the prodigal son and the parable of the prodigal son, which is about a father who loves his two sons. And no, I'm not going to go through it all again. I'm merely making the point that one of the ways that God works is the first way he works is actually to encounter human beings, that is you and me, with the love, his extraordinary love. That he is much nicer, he is much kinder, he's much more powerful, he's much more everything positive than you and I could ask or imagine. And much of what we have to be healed from is a negative image of God who reflects our own worldview, doesn't reflect Him. And so that prodigal son, the angry brother and the one who just took everything for himself, is a, is a metaphor for just how much God will tolerate in order to draw us back to Himself and say, come back, because I want you to live with me in a banqueting hall, in a place of safety, of power, of presence. And he says, all I have is yours, and I want you to know that I will provide for you, and I want you to live on earth that way, so that when you go to heaven, it's just a transition. It's not, you know, happiness only happens when you're dead. Happiness is only attainable when you go to heaven. Jesus brought heaven to earth. That's what we're continually trying to embrace the other thing we talked about last week was the vine, the Jesus par parable of the vine, where he talks about how the vine grows. And the vines that are, uh, are, are tied up onto an arbor, and they, they're off the ground, held together and supported by others, is the vine that bears fruit. The vine that actually grows, it's attached to the stem. It says, yes, I believe in Jesus, but it runs along the, the ground. It roots itself. It's, it gets its own self-sufficiency, and it never produces fruit. It just has a lot of green and Jericho Road is trying to be a church that is hung on the arbor of community and God's love that has fruit on it. We're not particularly interested in having millions of people with leaves on and no fruit. We're not particularly interested in whether you believe in Jesus and that's it. Because it doesn't take you anywhere. Believing in Jesus, Satan believes in Jesus. It's about allowing Him to work in our lives, which is what that word was about acceleration and anticipation and about uh, no hesitation. Isn't that cool? Not so good? You hesitated. No hesitation. And I'm going to talk about that today, actually, funnily enough. How does God work? And how, do you, how many of you want God to work more powerfully in your life? Some of you. I mean, really, put your hand, if you want to, put your hand up so he can see it. Because he's looking down right now and saying, well, they didn't even care. It was too much even to put a hand up. All right, your hand's up, all right. Now I'm going to tell you what to do once your hand's down. I was with Lefty this weekend, week, and he was meant to have this uh, interview with CTV at this Christian school. And so he's trying to get us to go, and I said, no, you go. And he goes with Ryan, and they go off to the Christian school. I mean, he, he misses the prayer meeting to get a haircut because he wants to look sweet. It's really quite beautiful. I mean, I go, what the heck are you doing, you know? Anyway, he does that, and he goes off to the Christian school. Comes back about 2 o'clock, and I say, what happened? He said, oh, well, the CDV went to the wrong school, so they've got to come back next week. And he said, you, you mean they come all the way up from Victoria? And he said, I'm Lefty Williams. <laughs> so I fall on the floor of my office and kiss his feet and go, oh, I'm so sorry. Now, I don't know why I wound that into this, but it was funny. 
I think it was about the sense of confidence, the sense of, you know who I am, not in a brash way, but just in a way of let's go. No hesitation. And, I, and God wants to work in us with power. And He wants to work in you. And I'm going to tell you how He wants to work in you and how He works. And I'm going to tell you with one point. There is a principle that runs right throughout Scripture. I like visual aids because it's, uh, I just like them. And that. That's all I'm using today. These will change, totally change uh, as you see them. And that's like life. When, when you actually hear something explained, you don't see them the same. You can take anything and use it as a teaching aid. The principle that God uses is quite simple. In the beginning, God made the heaven and the earth, right? In the beginning, God made the heaven and the earth, and he said, let there be light, let there be this, let there be that, and it came into being. He spoke the word, and he created out of nothing. And he saw that it was good. And when he had created the earth, and he created everything out of nothing... He was going to create human beings. And Jesus did not say, God did not say, let there be Adam. Until he created human beings, he made things out of nothing and then separated them. When human beings walked on the face of the earth for the first time, was the last time God made something out of nothing. So he took dust from the earth and he made Adam. And then he hung around with Adam a bit and he said, I need a girl. So he took a rib out of Adam and he made Eve. And then they produced, and so life began to form. And when he wanted to bring judgment on the earth because of the rebellion, he got Noah, and he said to Noah, make an ark. He didn't say, let there be an ark. And Noah spent a long time, as Bill Cosby tells us, making an ark in the front of neighbors who say, what are you doing with an ark? There's no rain and it's a desert here. But Noah took God at his word and he made something even when it didn't make any sense. And throughout the Bible, you see this principle beginning to unfold where God calls people to do things, and they often are crazy. There was a man called Elijah. Well, you remember Moses. Moses was an old man. He was 80 years old. He had been watching goats for 40 years. And a, a, a bush burned, and God said, I want you to go in and set people free from Pharaoh. The guy that you were scared of, and actually you ran away from because you didn't have any power or ability to do anything, in your strength. And Mo Moses said, please choose somebody else. And he said, you're the only one here. The rest are goats. And you're not doing that badly either. But I, I need you. And eventually Moses got scared. So he said, yes. And he said, well, I'll give you your brother Aaron. Because Moses, he was not without hesitation. He had a lot of hesitation. He said, I stutter and I'm not good at speaking. And it's a long way and I'm old and I'm out of touch. And I'm not in the loop. And Pharaoh, by the way, I don't like. And God just said, Moses, get on. I'll be with you. And I'll get Aaron to speak for you. And you two go together. And you're going to set my people free. I'm going to actually so powerfully work in you, Moses, that you are going to look like a god to Pharaoh. And eventually he will set the people free. And over a period of time, Moses goes into Egypt. He, they have plagues. They have all kinds of things happening. And eventually those people are set free from slavery. Very quick. God uses people to get his purposes done. There's a prophet called Elijah. Elijah was in about the 9th century BC. And Elijah was going to have quite a lot of pretty big encounters. And this is in memory of Elijah. Elijah, God said to Elijah, go and uh, go into the desert and I'm going to look after you. With a, there's a brook and there's water and I'll look after you. And the ravens brought him bread. It was supernatural. And Elijah did that. 
And then the, the brook dried up. And so God said, go to, a, go, to another country, go to another place. And there's a widow there. The widow is named the widow of Zarephath. And God said, I prepared a, a widow there who, will, who will feed you and, and will look after you while you're there. And he goes to this place called Zarephath. And there's a widow there. And you go, well, God's going to provide for me. So I'm looking forward to this. You know, I'm confident he's already given me a brook. And he arrives there. And there's a widow and she's poor. She's hardly got any food and she's picking up sticks. And, and, he, and God says, that's the woman. And, and Elijah must have said, you must be kidding me. She can hardly look after herself and she's going to look after me. And he says to her, um, can you get me some bread? And he, she says, I don't have any bread. I've got just a little bit of oil and I've got a handful of flour. And that's all I've got. We're going to make a piece of bread right now. I'm just going to make a fire. I'm collecting sticks for the fire. And then I'm going to make that bread for my son and myself. And then we're going to die tomorrow because there's nothing left. And God says to Elijah, just trust me. And he says, you go home and you make some bread. You give me some bread. And God said that this will never run out. And this will never run out. And I will provide for you a little jar of flour, a little jar of oil. And that sustained Elijah and that woman and her family for as long as Elijah stayed there. You go to Isaiah, God calls another prophet, his name is Isaiah. He felt incredibly inadequate and God said to him, I want you to go and speak to my people. And Isaiah said, I can't go. And then he said, I will go, but I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm not worthwhile. And God said, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And God said, I will, call, I, I will make you clean. And then he uses Isaiah. It goes on through every single page of the Bible. He comes to the place where he says, my son, I need to send my son into the world. He doesn't just say, if sins be forgiven. He's used sacrifices. We don't have time. I'm just buzzing through this really quickly, as you can hear. Because I'm only making one point. So this is just the, you know, leading up, lead up, lead up, lead up, lead up, lead up. You put your hands up, right? You want God to work. And just knocking away your excuses. Every single one of them. Not one of you will have one excuse by the time I'm finished this morning. That's good, isn't it? Because that means you'll understand and you'll be all ready to go. No hesitation. Right? You're not so sure, are you? Okay. God says, I want, I, want to, I want this world to know that I am nice, I'm pleasant, I'm powerful, I'm, I'm a savior, I'm kind. I want to rescue my children because they've got, gone astray. And so he sends his son, Jesus. How is his son, Jesus, born? He's born through a woman, a teenager, who becomes pregnant from the Holy Spirit. She, gives, she gets pregnant. She swells up, she gets pregnant. She has a baby. She has a father called Joseph. He uses people and he comes into this world and he, he, he grows up in a place called Nazareth and he gets baptized by a guy called John and he does signs and wonders and he heals people and he lays his hands on people and they get, they get well and he speaks words and things change. And then he has to die for the sins of the world. So he goes to a cross and he suffers on a cross and he's beaten by Romans and he's, he's betrayed by the religious people. And they don't get his message at all. The, the, the people outside the church did, but they didn't. It's often like that. And they, Jesus goes to a cross and he dies on a cross that we remember on Good Friday that's coming up. It's a tangible sign of a God who is invisible, whose love is poured out in a tangible way over human beings. And in Jesus' ministry, what did he do? He showed all the time how God works through human beings. So that reading we read... They were out in the fields one day, or actually they hills overlooking Galilee, and they, the people had been there for a long time, probably nearly 10,000 of them if you count my, uh, women and children. 
And Jesus said to his disciples, you feed, my, you feed these guys because they've been here a long time and I care about them and I care about the fact that they're hungry. And uh, the disciples went, I don't know. Uh, we don't have anything and we don't have, we're not getting paid very much to be with you. So there's not, you know, we, we don't have the resources. And Jesus said, well, what do you have? And somebody said, well, here's a boy with a, with a, lunch, a lunchbox. He's got two, two fish and five loaves or five fish and two loaves, whatever. And the boy gives them the lunchbox and Jesus opens and says to his father, thank you, father, for providing for these 10,000 people with this. And then he distributes it and 10,000 people are fed from this. He says, really, that's what I do. I mean, if I can say, let there be light and there's light and I can create the universe with a word, do you think I can't provide sandwiches for 10,000? Do you think I came to bring, bring you a Bible study? Do you think my whole purpose was so that I could be a good theme for worship music? I mean, do you think that's why I did all this? Do you think I love my children so much that they should be bored out of their minds on Sunday mornings? Do you think that's my purpose in loving the world? I came to bring you life and joy. But there's a principle that I work by. And I make no exceptions. And so Jesus went to the cross and he went to the grave and he was buried in a grave. And on the third day, he rose again from that grave. And they went and looked for him in that grave outside Jerusalem. And they found an empty grave. And they were told, why do you look for the living among the dead? And he rose and he appeared to his disciples. And he, 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 he said to them, here I am, touch me. And then eventually he said to them, now you go. And as I've been sent, so I send you. Go into all the world and share. But wait for my spirit, because my spirit has to empower you. Otherwise, you're nothing. You're just talking heads. And so they had to wait until they were filled with the Spirit so they would go out and actually do the works of Jesus. They actually healed the sick. They just didn't talk about the days when Jesus used to do it. They didn't just talk about what this great man was and what he used to do. They actually declared him as the Son of God who loves. And he, they said, come to him. And they laid hands and people saw the same things through these men and women that Jesus did. And they said, wow. Judaism hasn't got anything on this. And they felt loved. And they felt empowered. And they felt whole. And the Christian church began to grow. And as we've made this journey in Jericho Road, we've started out of enormous brokenness. For some of us, great humiliation, sadness, regret. We've gone through winding roads of what happened is there any future? And then the last person on earth we ever thought would be back here comes back here. Me. Politically incorrect. Totally, totally, totally not anything. Just merely putting an exclamation under that. And God over these last years has been healing us and has been beginning to release among us a sense of purpose that's beyond our circumstances and our histories. That's quite maybe extraordinary. And we're slowly beginning to come out of the crunched up defensiveness to a place of celebration and say, God is good and God is kind and God is faithful and God rescues and God heals and God forgives and God redeems and God takes what is broken and makes it whole and he can do it and he is doing it with us because he wants us to be a declaration to the world of if, if God can raise him from the dead, he can raise me from the dead. And we will boast of our weaknesses because he is strong. And we will boast about what he is able to do despite my weakness. So what are we saying? 
What's the one thing that I believe God actually wants to encourage us with, but also say every single person who put up your hand, he's for you, not against you. But there is a time right now, which Megan was declaring to us, it's a time for no hesitation. It's a time to stop saying, I'm not doing this. I don't go to soaking prayer. I don't go up for healing. I don't go out on Tuesday nights. I don't. It's time to stop saying what you don't do and start saying, what will you do? It's time to stop saying how offended I am and to say, I hold no offense because I've forgiven everybody who's offended me. And I've also asked forgiveness of where I've been an offense. What's the one point that God uses right throughout the Bible? It's this. When Elijah went to the woman at Zarephath, she had oil and flour and he had faith. And when they came together, there was a miracle. And when Jesus was looking for something to feed 10,000 people with, he said, what do you have? And the boy said, I've got a lunch bucket. The very simple thing about how God works is this. When God wanted to make Adam, he took the dust. When he wanted to make Eve, he took the rib. When he said, who will go for me? I see this need. And, Elijah, and, and uh, as Isaiah says, here I, am I, Lord. There's a very simple truth, and that is that God needs something to use all the time. Give him something to work with in your life. And keep giving him something to work with. Some of us don't have testimonies. You know why we don't have testimonies? Because we don't get specific and we don't get real. I promise you, everyone here will have a testimony if you give him your lunch bucket. Give him something to use. That's how he's going to accelerate us. You see, the body is made out of individual cells, and you are individual cells. We are all cells, part of one. One cell that doesn't actually obey is the cause of cancer. Cancer is caused by uncooperative, rebellious cells. It only takes one to take down a body. What kind of cell are you? This is, a, this is actually meant to be a very encouraging word. But you cannot be encouraged until you start taking seriously what's in you. You can't, actually, you can't actually be encouraged until you deal with yourself. And you start actually saying, John, you've got some attitude. And you've got to deal with it. And I lay it at the cross and say, Father, I give you my attitude. But I want to give you my lunch bucket. And I've told you a number of times before the ministry opened up in Jericho Road. I was in my house at my computer and I gave him everything. There was nothing, nothing, nothing kept. Absolutely nothing. I had $300 in the bank and I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to lose my house and I had no idea how anything was going to roll out. And I said, here I am. It was the most terrifyingly wonderful moment seven years ago. It makes these moments much easier because I've got so many testimonies out of his faithfulness. But he keeps saying, what's for lunch today? Be specific. Give him something to work with. Give him something to work with in your heart and in your life that's not vague. What does that mean? It means, how can God actually grow in you? And you say, well, I'm going to give you, I'm going to be there on a Tuesday night. I'm going to be there on a Thursday 
I'm going to be there on a Wednesday for prayer. I'm not saying being at all of them. I'm only saying give him somewhere that he can work with. And when you say I'm going to be there, then be there. Because as soon as you say you're going to be there, as soon as you give him something to work with, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be tempted and you're going to be distracted and you're going to be said, nah, not tonight. Next week we'll start this. Whatever you give and whatever you declare will be challenged. But it'll be challenged once or twice and then it'll back off because they'll know you're serious. I think I've missed two soaking prayers in five or six years. And we used to do it for four hours at night. It was the only way I could say, God, I'm, I'm desperate for you to work. So give him something to work with. Give him something where he can actually meet you and see what happens because he loves you. Does that make sense to you? It's a principle. It's a principle. We've got to move on. And so we're giving him, as we're going to go into this AGM, which won't take too long, we're going to give, we give him us, we give him ourselves, we give him this church and say, Lord, this is what we can give you to work with. I can say, Father, I give you this church, I give you this building, I give you everything. It's yours. I can't give him you. You have to give you you. I can only give me. But he is faithful. Stand, please. Stand. And let's say to him, what's, what's the thing that he's putting his, his hand on in your life, and your heart right now, where he's saying, this is our next step with, together. Will you give me this to work with? Or you can initiate something. He doesn't mind. Get really specific. Just let's do ministry. You can wait. Just wait for a minute, all right? There's a, it's really important. To me, these moments are the, the reason why we exist. All I can do is point you to Jesus. I can't do anything else. But it's these moments when we stand before Jesus that it actually connects. And so it's about you and I saying, Lord, here am I. I give you this. And Father, I just pray blessing on every lunch bucket, every jar of oil, every, every jar of flour that is raised to you right now. Where God is also saying to you, I want more. And he says, I'm going to show you that I will be trustworthy and faithful. But the more specific we are, the more we will see at work. So I dare you, throw something out to the Father and see what happens. And I bless what is being released, Father. I bless what is being released. Because we're going to not look at what we do not have. We're going to look at who you are for us. And we're going to be marveled, marveling at what you have done with what we've offered. And we declare that as a church, that we're going to be those who encourage people to enter into the richness of the Father. And believe before they see what is possible in his love and his power and his presence. And I just want to release healing into this body as we go into this AGM. There's healing here for sickness. There's somebody with an issue with their teeth. It might be an abscess tooth on the left side. Just speak healing to teeth that need healing. Somebody's got a rotator cuff. That's quite common, but somebody's struggling with a rotator cuff, shoulder injury. Father, just pray your healing over that in the name of Jesus right now. Pour out your healing, Jesus. Pour out your healing. If you have anything in your own body, you don't have to wait for me to call it out. You just receive it yourself. Just say, Father, I, I continue to say, Father, here I am. 
I, I tr- Jesus, you're walking among us and I'm trusting you for healing. And I give you my unbelief and I just say, Jesus, will you touch me and will you heal me? We release healing in this, in this, in this place. We release the power of Jesus to bring healing. And we cause faith to rise among us to believe what we haven't yet seen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Receive, receive, receive. You see, the thing that I've been trying to say this morning is that God will not do anything if he's not given anything. Praying is useless if you don't give him something. So that's why you have to give him something to work with. Don't just ask him to do it because he won't do it. He can't do it. Give him something that he can transform.